the only true security that we will ever possess as we are on this earth is our faith in Jesus Christ and his redeeming work for us. We want to trust. We want to have things we can depend upon. We want to know that everything will be fine. And when I was a kid, there was an expression that we used to use that we'd say, that vehicle there is as sound as a dollar. Well, I've got some advice for you. If they tell you that today, don't buy the vehicle. We are not sure what we can trust in anymore. Being American is no longer a premium thing to possess, and that's sad, because the American ideal has been brushed away and, and discarded. We've forgotten about that. The country that we grew up in is radically changing, and it's going in the wrong direction. And it makes me stop and be reminded in my heart that truly the only thing we can trust is not of this earth, but of heaven. God has given to us His Son, His only begotten Son. And because of that, we can have faith and trust in Him. And as much as the adage is true, yet it's sad, that someone has said that America is not needed by Christ, but America needs Christ. America will never be great until America comes back to Christ. And as the division comes, dear brother and sister, go with Christ. Understand the importance of that. Realize that kingdoms come and go, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords is always here. And we can do what is right and what is true. We will stand by that. But we know that the day will come that we'll leave this world and go to one that is perfect. Someone asked me the other day, they said, what can we truly trust in in the way of protection and safety? Because it seems like that that's going away. When Americans can stand outside their own home to defend it when they see what has been a systematic action of, of terrorism, of destroying communities, and all they do is to stand to defend their house, and yet their weapons are taken away, and they're jailed. This was not supposed to happen. I know history too well to, to understand what follows this, and that's why I'm saying trust in God and not in that which is around you. How do we find that true protection when we feel seemingly the safety that we've all enjoyed is drifting away? How do we find that true protection and hold on to it? You see, moms and dads are concerned about children and grandparents are weeping over their grandchildren for what is ahead. But I remind you that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the same God that defended them through pagan lands and giants who threatened them and kept them safe through all that stormy situation. And in the same way that God protected his children from the Roman Empire, we will be protected from any enemy, foreign or domestic, because God is there for us. Now, how do we find that true protection and hold on to it? 
You know, the situation here that we're up to in chapter 31 of Genesis is very unusual. Jacob has surrendered his life for a period of decades to serve this man, Laban, who became his father-in-law. A man that was of his own blood that should have been his friend but took advantage of him. And Jacob has gotten to a place where God is blessing him because he is being faithful to God. And he's seeing what's happening, and he understands it, and he's trusting in God. And even when he goes to his wives and says, you know, your dad does not love us. He hates me. And it's time for us to go. God has warned me of the situation. And he told me that no one would harm me if I would be faithful to him. And Laban was mad. He was very mad. For everything he had plotted and planned had failed. So what I ask you is this in reflection to what's going on with Jacob and his family. And what's going on with us. Laban is mad because Jacob deceived him. But also because everything he worshipped has left him. In times of frustration and anxiety and insecurity. Where do you go for the truth if you're following God? Who or what can you trust in? Look at this story. Let's go back over what we've looked at over the, uh, the last nine weeks. Rebecca deceived her dying husband Isaac. Isaac preferred his oldest son Esau, yet Rebekah preferred her younger son Jacob. Jacob was envious of Esau, and Esau was bitter towards Jacob. And Jacob was sent away to Laban. And over and over again, Laban cheated him. And Jacob finally learned the most important of life's lessons after almost two decades of going through this is this. If you will trust God and be obedient to Him, He'll fight your battles. All you have to do is stand for truth. And He will make the way straight for you. Even in the storm of battle, He will be there. Truth is the only thing that we must believe in and trust. And the voice of truth is the voice of God. A wise man said one time, it's never right to do wrong in order to do right. And somehow in our way of thinking today, people have come to that. They felt that the end is more important than the means, yet the means determines the end because it changes who you are. And we've seen Christianity slide among many people, and they've decided to pick and choose what they would believe in. But Christianity doesn't work that way. It's an all-or-nothing relationship. The moment that you cloister something in your life to be private unto you and will not give it over to God, God goes to that room and knocks on that door. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. John 8.31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had disbelieved in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And listen to this, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is not a series of words or, or, or commandments. They're not even a series of rules. The truth is a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. That is the truth. 
It is a rare commodity today to many people because they don't know the Christ that we know. It's easy to be deceived. I, I listen many times to different radio and TV stations uh, on my computer, and I'm amazed at some of the things that are said there that are so deceitful and so twisted and, and do not bear any resemblance of the truth. It's as if they are skating the edge of truth to get across their point. Let me give you an example of that. Back during the days of the Cold War, there was an old joke that was told, and this was actually a part of journalism uh, in Moscow. The Soviet Union and the United States were the only two participants in the arms race. We know that. In the race, the United States came in first, and the Soviet Union came in last. We also know that. We won that arms race. But when the Soviet press reported it, this is what they declared. Listen carefully. They said the Soviet Union achieved a second place finish with the United States coming in second to last. Think about that. They told the truth, but they couched it in such a way that you couldn't recognize what it was really saying. The words themselves were accurate but misleading because important information was withheld. The Soviets never mentioned that only two people were participating. They never clearly said, America won and we lost. And that's the way our world functions today. You see, at one time, those who reported the news are now creating the news. They're shaping the news. They're taking truth and bending it away and taking lie and straightening it out. But it never works that way. A lie is a lie. Even if the words are accurate and deceiving. If we withhold information with the intent to mislead, then we have lied. And that's how you get in trouble. Don't ever believe that what you're hearing from the world you can trust. Don't have faith in that. There was a time when you would, you would tell your children, oh, you can trust the government. We're going to do the right thing. When they stand there, lay their hand on the Bible and say, so help me God, that means that they're following God's truth. And, and I say to you, it, it doesn't anymore. We've been fooled too many times. We've been led astray too many times. I struggle with that because I want to believe that our country is what it always was. But I am drawn to stand with Christ and with His Word. And with this perfect standard, I can see what has happened. And I feel the pain of what Jacob is going through. What do we learn from this? From the 31st chapter of Genesis. I think we learn several very important things that changed Jacob and reshaped his children, the tribes of Israel, and the future of a nation. First of all, never, ever, ever trust a lie, even if it's called a white lie. A lie is a lie. Deceit is deceit. Don't defend yourself with any kind of deception. I was told many years ago by a very wise man this. He said, when you're confronted with a question and the answer would either be painful 
or hurtful to somebody, you've got three choices. And I said, three? He said, yes, you can tell a lie to placate them. You can tell the truth. Or there's a third option. You can say nothing at all. We forget about that. That's what Jesus did many times. When, when he was standing, standing before Herod and being questioned, what did he say? He said, nothing at all. Nothing. There's a time in life that we need to stand true to what we believe in and we need to stand silent because our words don't necessarily heal the hurt of life. Many times rather than speaking to the person before us, we need to pray to the God above us that can guide us in the right direction. Now, very few people actually start their day with the intention of telling a lie. I don't think anyone gets up and wants to do that. Usually, we find ourselves slipping into a lie out of convenience because it seems to help us through the situation. Lewis Upkins, in his book, Treat Me Like a Customer, a book that was written really for merchandising's sake, talked about a company that conducted 3.8 million background checks on people applying for jobs. They found that more than half of them lied on their resumes. These were people that thought a little white lie was necessary to get a good job. Especially in a tough economy, they were looking for financial security. Some years ago, Duke University conducted a massive study involving over 70,000 U.S. college and high school students. In that study, 70% of the students admitted to cheating. That was a 14% increase from 10 years before and a 44% hike since 20 years before. A separate poll of 25,000 high school students found that nearly half agreed with the statement, a person has to lie or cheat sometimes in order to get ahead or succeed. They, too, were looking for security in a lie. They felt that one lie would end that. But one lie always leads to another and another and another. I had a very dear friend who was one of the, the finest judges in Atlanta. He was a city court judge uh, for 33 years. His name was Judge T.C. Little. He was a World War II veteran. He had a son that was in Vietnam. T.C. Little had a plaque on the front of his bench. It did not state his name. It said this phrase. It said, always tell the truth. Then you don't have to remember what you've said. What a powerful truth. One time in his courtroom, a defendant was there, and he was asked a question by the judge. And he reached up and he turned that little quote down and covered it up. And then he spoke. Judge Little smiled at him and he said, Well, at least you were convicted by the words on the plaque. Sometimes we forget that the problem with a little lie is it's not little. And the problem is it doesn't end there. But worst of all, what it does is it changes us more than it changes the person we're lying to. It changes our idea of reality and truth. It gives to us the satisfaction of thinking that we can change our situation ourselves 
and that God's truth should never enter into that. It's created several generations of leadership in business and politics in America that had believed that they could take off their robe of righteousness, hang it up at home and go to work and be a different person. That Sunday was for religion, but the rest of the week was for commerce. And I really believe that's why we found ourselves in the place that we're in. I remind you that among our congressmen in Washington, 88% of them say they're Christian. 88%. Does that not terrify you like it frightens me? They name the name of Christ. They believe that they're okay. And somehow they've lost touch with reality. Secondly, I want you to know this. Don't ever put your faith in human concepts. Don't do it. Don't ever believe that somehow the world has something better than God. Don't depend on a false God to protect you. And what I mean by that is simply this. The God of education cannot protect you. As a young child, I remember the commentators speaking on television. This was in the days of Johnson. And they believed, the experts believed this, the problem with society and the downfall of society and the degradation of morality, they said, is ignorance. It was ignorance. And they said, if we educate people and bring them up out of their ignorance, they'll be able to consciously make choices that are right and do better. And crime will drop, illegitimacy will drop, home ownership will be lifted up, the economy will be better, and everything will be fine. You, let me explain to you what that is. That was man's way of solving a moral problem that was really only God's to solve. It sounded so clean and so precise and so beautiful. Education. Of course everybody wants to get an education. Everybody wants to get a degree. Yet a college degree does not give you morality. It doesn't give you piety or humility. It doesn't even give you sensitivity to others. Sometimes it just gives you cold arrogance. Now remember the one speaking to you spent much of his life in college all over. I traveled to Europe to study. And I've learned this. If a man has a heart that is broken and sinful, education will just lift him up to a different level of sin. It will not purify him. It will not take it away. So don't trust in human concepts. We tried that 50 plus years ago in America, and it has failed us. Do you see the generation that we produced in, in colleges, what they're doing? They can't even conceptualize the idea of being self-supportive, of being an entity that can take care of themselves. As I listened to a radio report the other night of one of the riots going on in the Northwest, at the end of the comment, the commentator said this. He said, and as darkness falls upon our city, all of our 
righteous rioters are going back to their parents' basements where they've been living with no means of support but a healthy sense of themselves for they have torn apart our city with their bare hands. How sad this is. We've got to trust God for great things for He is more mighty than any human endeavor. I remind you that when 5,000 families followed Jesus to hear Him teach and preach, and they were hungry, and there was no McDonald's around. There were no caterers there to take care of the situation. And Jesus spoke, and the disciples tried to respond. I think it was Thomas that said, you know, Lord, we've got all these people. And, we, and, and, you know, Thomas was probably a good Baptist. He wanted to create a committee to solve the problem. You know, you all know what committees are. A committee is a group of the unfit called by the unwilling to do the unnecessary. I had a plaque on my wall in my restaurant that I love dearly. It said, for God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. Now, nothing wrong with committees. I sit on a lot of them, and we use committees for good things. But, but the truth is, there's sometimes you don't need a committee. You need God. And when Jesus looked, he didn't want a budget. He wanted a boy with a little basket to eat for his lunch. A very simple lunch there, five loaves and two fishes. Basically, you know what he had in, in, in layman's terms today? He had a, a, a big pack of crackers and a can of sardines. That's what he had. And Jesus took it. First, we have to give to Jesus what we have. And then Jesus blessed it. And when Jesus blesses it, there's no limitation to what you can do. But we forget that. God reminds us every once in a while of the power that we have. There's a power in prayer that, that we don't even, we can't even imagine. We can't conceptualize fully and totally. God shows us a picture of that periodically. And that's one of the reasons that I weep because we're gathered together here this morning, yet many that should be gathered with us are not here. The body of Christ is great. Not because the numbers make us more powerful, but because the obedience we have to Christ makes the difference. And when He calls us together, there's a reason. There's a power in our prayer. There's a power when we gather together to serve Him. And it's very important. And it's like the gates of hell have come against the church. We've never seen anything like this in the history of Christianity in America. But we must be together. But lastly, I tell you this. Put your total trust in the Lord and no one else. He is the only one that can guide you. This, this whole story we've been going through in Genesis is basically a story of how God took a very broken man, Jacob, who was taught by his own family to be a deceiver. He, he came out of the womb trying to take what was not his. You realize that? He was the supplanter. He was the trickster. That's all he understood. But God was determined to change him. 
Anyone else would have cast him aside. Years ago, our government came up with a brilliant idea. They said, well, we don't want to make people feel guilt for what they're doing because sometimes that doesn't work. So we're going to call imprisonment offender rehabilitation. Doesn't that sound good? The only problem is they're not rehabilitating the offenders. If you've noticed over the last 90 days, the cities that have re- and, and states that have released prisoners, the prisoners very quickly did what they do. They committed crime, and it got worse. A reporter announced yesterday morning at about 8.30 or 9 o'clock in New York City, they said this, they said, we have only been into this Saturday for eight hours and seven people have already been shot in the city of New York. How can we feel safe? Dear people, there will always be those who go against God's law. But we must trust Him. We must gather together and we must pray. We have to put our total trust in the Lord and that trust begins by worshiping Him. You know, uh, the 36th uh, verse here in chapter 31, it says, Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. And, and, and what is my crime, he asked Laban. What sin have I committed? What have I done? I, I've done everything you've told me to do. And he confronted him with that. Two decades of service. And yet Laban was still bitter. He was still angry because he was cheated. The reality was, it was not Jacob that took from him. It was God. For God had taught a lesson to Jacob, and he still loved Laban enough to teach him a lesson. We need to be a people who pray honestly and sincerely to God. We need to admit our sins, our shortcomings, and our failures. We need to confess to Him and repent because until repentance comes to the house of God a great awakening will never come to America the fault is in the hands of Christians who've been too proud to admit that we are not what God meant for us to be we've fallen short Don't tell anybody at the North American Mission Board I said this. They started sending me little premiums because we, we have a church that's so generous to give to the North American Mission Board to do missions here in America. They sent me, among other things, this wonderful little face mask. Isn't that nice? You know what it says on the front? Sin relief. I'll be honest with you, I'd rather that they kept their, their money going where it should go. By the way, Murray, you'll appreciate this. Guess where it was made? Vietnam. This is not missions to advertise and promote. They cannot get the gospel out like you can. They can't make the... They cannot do our service for us. That's not what they're intended to do. Far too often, we don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to get out there. 
with the people that are broken and hurting. And that's exactly where we need to be. Most of you will get in your cars, you'll go home, or you'll go somewhere and eat, and you'll go nowhere near the problem. And that's the problem. God has called us to be a more focused people to change this world. I pray that we'll be willing to follow what God has called us to do. That we will not be in a feud with the family of God, but we will fulfill our destiny called by Him. That we will not make excuses for why we don't do what we should do. That we will not assimilate untruths, but we'll be honest. Yes, Selma's broken and we're responsible for changing it. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't need a program. We need a people. Just as Jesus didn't need a budget, he just needed one boy. God wants to work miracles through you. Are you willing to be used? I pray that you are. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in your holy word, you give to us truth that will transform our hearts. And I pray that we would understand the importance of what we are doing even now. For we are standing for truth in a city that is broken and hurting. In a nation that is trying to find its way to truth. And God, I pray that we would understand that a broken vessel can never do righteousness. Only one who is surrendered and mended and restored by your hand can make a difference. So God, on the basis of that, I pray that you would forgive us our sins. That we would come back to you. And that we would repent of what we've done. God, I pray that as a city, we would come close to you. A city that's gone through the, the ravages of so many hands that have abused us and used us. A city that's become a photo op for people that want to be seen as good and righteous, yet they walk away and do nothing for the hurting and the downtrodden here. God, I pray that you would simply give us a heart and a desire to do what is right. You would speak to those who are called to serve you even now. And as we sing the first notes of this invitation hymn, may our hearts be drawn to come close to you, to repent and to restore ourselves to the relationship we should have. And I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.